This week on a brand new episode of Hello Ross, Ricky Lake stops by to say, I remember being a guest on Oprah. I was I was on for Hairspray. They did a whole dancing in the movies thing and they had the dirty dancing cast and me. And I was like 19 years old and I told her I want to be the white Oprah. On air, I, I, it was actually censored. It was actually bleeped. I didn't, I mean, I meant it, I meant it as a compliment. That adds so much more on a brand new episode of Hello Ross. Well, hello everybody, and welcome to the program. And uh, it's a big day around here. You know, I want to I want to bring you back to my living room. You know, mid early nineties, right? Okay, early nineties. I'm like in twelve ish, and um, my mom had summers off. I would I get to stay home with her, and I remember she would always want to watch uh, Regis and Kathy Lee. Oh my God! If you didn't, you don't even know. You don't even know if you didn't watch it. But Regis and Kathy Lee was like um the way to wake up so he was sort of like you know uh, uh, like you're kind of your grandpa who told you dirty jokes on the side you know he was like funny and but kind of grumpy at the same time and she was so glamorous so glamorous she did the uh, carnival cruise commercials i would sing along if they could see me now i was obsessed with kathy lee and my mom i i loved watching my mom watch Regis and Kathy Lee, because she just looks so happy, you know, when you like turn and look at somebody and they don't even know that you're watching them. They just look like, oh, just like so happy. And I, I remember thinking like, oh my God, look, they make my mom happy. I want to do that job. I want to sit up there. I want to talk to famous people and live in New York city and talk about my life. And I want to be a talk show host. It was right then I decided. And then I was obsessed. I'd watch every single kind of talk show you can even imagine, you know, like, uh, I watched uh, Jenny Jones. Oh, Jenny Jones back in the day was good. Um, I watched, of course, Oprah. Hello. Uh, I kind of a little too late for Donahue, but I understood. Um, uh, Sally, Jesse, Raphael, um, uh, Rosie O'Donnell, you know, and then, of course, Ricky Lake. I loved Ricky Lake. Ricky Lake looked like me, looked like my friends, looked like, you know, she was um, she was like a sweet girl. But she was doing the job, the dream job. And I remember I would race home from high school um, and I'd go to my friend's house. I would get like Fritos and a bean dip and a, and a Dr. Pepper. It was not a great diet, but don't judge me. And I would watch Ricky Lake. I would I just I would scream, go, Ricky, go, Ricky, go, 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 Ricky. <laughs> oh, God. It was um. she was doing what I was wanted to do. You know, and I watched her and I studied her and I felt like in my soul, I knew this, this. I just knew it in my gut that people like Ricky Lake and Rosie O'Donnell, I just knew that I would know them. I knew one day I would I would have conversations with them. And you know what? I mean, that's kind of what I'm going to be doing here on Hella Ross. If you think about it, Hella Ross really is, it's, it's you know, three things. It's a podcast where I get to come talk to you. It's kind of validation in a weird way for everything I ever thought I'd be able to do in life, you know, come true. And it's also therapy, really, <laughs> really everything about it. It's like me working out some childhood stuff, you know, where I just knew what I knew what I knew. I knew I'd get there. I knew I'd know them. And there are going to be people who stop by on this show. Sometimes they're going to be friends of mine. Sometimes they're going to be uh, people who I'm like the biggest fan in the world. And then sometimes it's going to be about this North Star thing that I knew in my gut. I knew I would meet these people and talk to these people. I knew it like I knew the sun would rise and set. I just knew it. And R Ricky Lake's one of those people. We're going to have more of them on here. Sally Jesse Raphael is going to be coming on the show. Rosie O'Donnell is going to be coming on the show. These... <sighs> 
you are in real time, like going through this with me. I, I'm about to welcome Ricky Lake onto this podcast. We've like brushed by each other, not never in, in person, but like I've been on a TV show where she called in once and like, oh, hi, and this. And we've said hi to each other on social media or something, but like I've never had a conversation with her. And now you guys, we're going to do this together. I'm going to get to talk to somebody who I just think the world of, someone who I used to watch as a kid and point at her and say, I want to do that. I want to be like her. I feel a connection with her. And today, in real time, Ricky Lake is going to come here to our podcast. The one and only Ricky Lake, after all this time of me wanting to meet her, knowing I'd know her, it's going to happen here with all of you listening. Ricky Lake is here to say, I can't even believe I'm going to say it, but Ricky Lake is going to say, hello, Ross. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Hello, Ross. Oh my God. If I could tell, if I wish I had a time machine that I could just tell little Ross Matthews in Mount Vernon, Washington, one day you're going to be having a conversation with Ricky Lake. I, I wouldn't have believed it, but I absolutely would have believed it at the same time. Oh, come on. Come on. We've had conversations before, but I'm so happy to talk to you on your podcast. Well, thank you. And I mean, listen, I'm, I'm starting Hello Ross, but let me talk, let's talk about uh, one of the biggest podcasts in, in the business right now is your podcast, uh, Ray. Is it? Yes. Every time I look at the charts, Race with Ricky is up, is like right there at the tippity top. What tell me, when did you get people are liking it? It's really exciting. I mean, because this whole thing is podcasts have been around what for like I don't know, eight or 10 years. And I've been basically approached by every company like since they started. And I'd take a meeting and I'd, you know, think about it, and it never kind of resonated for me. It never just felt right until I met the women from Lemonada Media. I'm wearing actually their shirt right now because I went hiking in it this morning. They're these two badass women, Jess and Steph, and they, you know, their whole mantra is to make content that makes life suck less. They came together, both their brothers, sadly, uh, succumbed to the opioid um, overdose. And they started this podcast called Last Day. And every, you know, I love their content that they produce. I love what they're about. I love that it's mostly women. And so they came to me and approached me with a, with a real vision of wanting to do it's kind of a rewatch of my old show. And I, I've, I really, because I've had so many other things happen in my career after my show that I've never really stopped to kind of reflect on what we were able to do back then, you know, in the nineties, like what the show was for so many people. And I, I just was in it. Um, my hand is up as those, those people. I want to talk to you about this as well, but what have you learned as you've gone back? What's it been like? It's just, it really was impactful for so many. And, and, 
you know, particularly, and I don't know where you grew up. I'm not sure of where you're from. Where are you from? Little farm, little farm town in Washington state above Seattle, right under Vancouver, British Columbia, Mount Vernon, Washington. Okay. So, I mean, for people like you, and I don't want to assume, you know, but, but for what I hear from people is that like, they saw themselves represented on television. They, you know, did not feel comfortable either, whether it was coming out or being who they were in their small towns, you know, so they were able to watch my show and see people like them being treated with respect you know, gay relationships that we treated just like any other biracial couples was a big deal back then. I mean, it just, and it was just the way I treated people. Like I, I come from the world of John Waters. I come from Hairspray, you know? And so I, I don't know anything else. I mean, I treat everyone the way I would want to be treated, but it was a big deal for people that didn't see themselves represented. And, um, well, you're absolutely right. I mean, cause there were, you did have gay people on and they weren't treated as some sort of, of like, um, like, oh, isn't this crazy? You know, and it was just like, tell me your story. Yeah. I have to imagine though, Ricky, because of course you were in that John Waters, you're, you know, New York, you're seeing that your friends are those people. You, you, when you live in those big metropolitan areas, you're seeing a lot of stuff that people, especially back then in the middle of middle America weren't seeing. But these executives had to be scared. What did you were you getting a lot of pushback when you're trying to tell stories like that? No, I think that's what that's set us shocking. apart. Because no, well, Garth Anseer, I don't know if you know him, him, he was sort of the whiz at that time where he came up with this concept. He looked at Oprah, Sally Jesse, Phil Donahue, all of those shows that were that were hit shows that back then skewed over the age of 50. I mean, their core audience was way old. And so he wanted to bring in that younger audience. So the idea was to cast someone young. I was one of a hundred women that they met with and he picked me, we did the pilot and the show was from the perspective of the younger person. You know, Oprah would do the show, you know, my daughter doesn't understand me and we would do it. My mother, she doesn't have a clue about what, you know, so it was just, that was the gimmick. That was what, you know, the secret sauce. It's so smart to do, though, because it identified a void in the marketplace and then you fit it. But I have to think you're 24 years old when the show starts, right? Is that the number? I was, I did the pilot. I was 23. So we're at, okay. thir- this is a 30 years okay. since the pilot. Wow. Wow. But let, just, let me go back there just for a second, because my North Star in my life has always been to be a talk show host. You know, I would watch Regis and Kathy Lee when I was young, really young. Yeah. And then I would watch you when I was a teen and pointing going, her, that, right there. That's, you know, she's just being herself and she's being vulnerable and she gets to show up at work and talk and meet fascinating people. That's it. But when you're 23 and doing a pilot, you're an actress. Was talk show host even on your radar? No. I mean, I loved Oprah. Like, of course, you know, I I remember being a guest on Oprah. I was, I was on for Hairspray. They did a whole dancing in the movies thing and they had the dirty dancing cast and me. And I was like Uh 19 years old. And I told her I want to be the white Oprah on air. I, I, it was actually censored. It was actually bleeped. I didn't, I mean, I meant it, I meant it as a compliment. I didn't mean to be offensive. And I, you know, but I truly was like, I want to be you when I grow up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting. They bleeped that. That's funny. And I identified with her because she was like a big girl and she was just, but, but, you know, Oprah's like angle was more like, like she knows everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, My angle is like, I don't know anything, but I want to figure it out with my crowd. You know, I was definitely not coming from a place of telling people what to do or how to live their best life. Do you think that they, they being the TV powers that be like, let you sort of discover yourself because that was, that was the key, Ricky, to me as a viewer. It, and I love that I'm telling you what the key was to your success, but <laughs> I'll tell you what the key was for my enjoyment of watching you was that I felt like if I ran into you, you'd get me. You'd be like, oh yeah, we're, we're we could hang. We're good. You know? Yeah. And I feel like you had to be almost like 
numb to the pa- the pressures of that world to sort of be that vulnerable. Were you or were you just that good at it? I think I was just naive, to be honest. I think I'm just like so, you know, I, I can't explain it. My friends to, to this day say I ha- I'm missing the gene of doubt. Like I don't have a doubt gene in my body. So <laughs> I just, I mean, pretty much, pretty, pretty much. I mean, obviously I have insecurities and I have, you know, shit I go through. But when I got hairspray and John Waters cast me as the fat girl who wins the guy and gets the, wins the dance contest. I mean, if he thought I could do it, okay, I guess I can do it. It's kind of, you know, they handed me the microphone and gave me this job to host this show. Okay. And I, in the beginning I channeled Oprah. That's all I did. I was like, what would Oprah think? What would she say? What would she ask? How would she treat people? And, um, and in, in, you know, through doing it, I came into my own and I, I got to be myself. Like there was no, that, and that's the thing I think works. Like I was authentic. I was, you know, open in sharing my hardships and my triumphs. Like I, I'm an open book to this day. You know, you can say that's a flaw or is it my strength? You know, when my husband succumbed to bipolar and death by suicide, I didn't know how to not be open about it. I, 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 I have to share, you know, I feel like I, it's part of my healing. It's part of, you know, I, I mean, I, I, it's just the way I've always been and I can't, I can't change who I am. Did you have that sort of, is it confidence? You say you, you don't doubt, right? You don't have the doubt gene. I let's go, let's call it confidence, right? Did you have that growing up too? Or was it when there was a mic? Cause I, I, I relate to there being a microphone and like, let's go, here's my place. But if you put me in a room with three people, I'd be like, Oh no, you talk. I don't really? Want, you know, I didn't, really? Yeah. I don't know. I become, I think when it's showtime, there are certain people that are like, Oh my God, you step aside and something comes through and you just perform. But like confidence, like in school, like pre hairspray, when you're growing up in New York, is there that confidence there? I wasn't the girl that you'd ever think would be like successful or like, you know, make a name for herself. I was not, I was kind of, I was the best friend and I was liked by everyone, but I was not like the star. I was not the smartest. I was not the prettiest. I was not, you know, I, I just was like in the crowd. And, and I, 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 you know, I think I just have like some sort of lucky star. John Waters, you know, plucked me from complete obscurity. I come from a really like middle-class kind of sheltered background. I was never around openly gay people until I made Hairspray, you know? I, and, then, and then it was like the floodgates. Yeah. And I think it really exposed me to just, just all walks of life and everyone is celebrated for their, their uniqueness, you know? Did you feel like you were like Dorothy in, in Oz, like walking into color when you <laughs> met all those people? It just... I mean, I don't even think it was because it was, it happened so quickly and it was such a rush, like two months in Baltimore making this movie and where I was not only starring in the film, but I was having to do dance lessons on the side. Like it was just this whirlwind. And I think it just, yes, I think in many ways, I never thought of it that way, but it was like going into like from 3D to 5D, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I have to think about when you're growing up though, right? And I, I, I grew up in a little farm town, like we talked about, a uh, little farm town in Washington state. And I, it wasn't like, um, you know, celebrated necessarily. So I think about you and, and I'm projecting on you because I'm thinking, you know, we're the same when I watch you because I relate to you. But And I relate about- to you too. I feel the same way. You do? Yeah. No, because yeah, you're just a joy bubble, Aww. you know? And I think of myself, like I'm a really happy person. I'm a really positive person. And I, I definitely see, I see that. Like we're same, same. Yeah. So I'm wondering, and I feel that too. I'm wondering when you go from like, oh, um, you know, that any insecurity you have, then to getting that show and people literally screaming, go Ricky, go Ricky. And do you feel like cool in that? moment? Are you feeling in your skin in, in that time? Or are you feeling like you're playing Oprah? What are you feeling in that moment? 
I mean, I think it's a little of both. I think it's like, I, cause I never was, I'm, I'm still not cool. Like I'm, I'm cool, but I'm not like, you know, I, I, it, it's, it, I'm awkward. And I think I, I, I'm in the know, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my show was just like, it was, it was such a fun, I mean, it was such a fun party atmosphere and it, you know, the rise, the success of it was so fast. John Waters, I think, not only gave me the role of a lifetime, but he sat me down before the film opened and he said, I want to talk to you. He's like, I, I want to let you know your life is about to change. And I want you to remember these three things. Always stay humble. Always stay true to yourself. And if you're going to read and believe the good things people write about you, you're going to have to read and believe the bad, which is basically like, you know, take it all with a grain of salt and keep it all in perspective. And I'm telling you that... That level of like advice and and mentorship, I think has kept me sane because I've been in this business for, you know, when it's 35, 35 plus years. And I, I really credit him for just keeping my feet on the ground. And that's that's helped me so much. That's so important, right? To have like a mentor like that teach you that, like, you know, what were you, 20, 18, 20? I was 18. Cool. I was 18. And I was just like, just, you know... I was like the failed musical theater major, you know, I was, I <laughs> yeah, was like yeah. that. And so, you know, I, I, I give him all the credit and, you know, he's someone I, I so admire because he really is someone who has stayed true to himself his entire 50 year career. Pink Flamingos, the 50 year anniversary of that film. And wow. um, yeah, what a mentor to have. I, I love hearing you talk about your film work too, because I was thinking about, you know, all the acting you've done. Did you know I saw Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Winterborne in the theater? I saw it at the, at the Lincoln. You did at the Lincoln Theater in Mountford, Washington. They had like independent films come there. Shirley MacLaine. Can, yeah. can I just throw a couple um, people out there? I need to know about working with Shirley MacLaine. Yeah. Tell me everything. I'm yeah. obsessed with her. Okay. Okay, Shirley, I was terrified because I'd heard horror stories about her. She was a dream. Really? Like she, oh my gosh, she like took me under her wing and would like redirect, like like the director would say something and she'd say, no, 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 don't do it like that. Do it like this. Like she would give me like, like give me notes. And I loved her. I would love to see her. I haven't seen her in many, it's probably been 15 years. And Brendan Fraser, who's now having this resurgence with his career. I'm so excited for him. He was a doll. And I think we have real chemistry in that film. Like I watched it recently because I, my new husband is also named Ross. Yep, and right. uh, he, he, he hadn't seen any of my stuff. He'd never seen Hairspray. He never even really saw his, he was a Mormon. He was a devout Mormon till 35. So he never really even watched my show. He knew who I was, but he had no idea of any of the work I do. It's so funny. So we watched Mrs. Winterborne not that long ago, and it, it holds up. It's a good one. It's really cute, underrated, and really cute. And I love Shirley MacLaine. I love how spiritual she is, and just how twisted and kind of weird she is. You know what I mean? And so strong in her own lane. She's a national treasure. I love her. Absolutely. Another national treasure, Kathleen Turner. Can you talk to me about her? I mean, serial mom. Tell me anything. She she was tough. I have to say, really, Kathleen. Oh yeah, Kathleen. Did, she didn't like me at first. At first, she she warmed up to me. I don't think she liked the fact that I was twenty four playing her teenage daughter, you know, cause I was, I mean, I still looked like really, really young, but I think just the idea that I was 24, this was right before I started the talk show. I remember being on set at Serial and Suzanne Summers was in that movie. And I was telling Suzanne, I'm going to have a talk show. And she was like laughing at me. They were like heckling me. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to New York after I finish this movie and I'm starting my own show. And she was like, <laughs> you know. 
Oh my god! Yeah. And 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 Kathleen just not having it. Well, I mean, she warmed up, but at the t- like, she was not a fan. I think of me being her daughter in the interesting. Beginning. But she was great in the film. Like, she's a really good actress. Great, and, uh, she killed it in that role. Yeah. I mean, she was incredible. Yeah, I kind of love it when like like Holly like Hollywood royalty is sort of like. How do I explain this? Like, I met Faye Dunaway once, and she was such a like a diva. She wasn't mean, but she just like was a Faye Dunaway, you know? And I just was like, thank you. Like, I get it. I appreciate it in a way, you know? She she delivered exactly what you knew what she would, yeah, right? I mean, there was yeah. no surprises. Yeah. Kathleen, yeah. Kathleen was definitely a little scary, but she was, you know, she was great. She was an amazing, amazing in that role. No one else. I can't imagine anyone else in that role. No, me either. Can you just can you just tell me just two things about Working Girl? Because in my research, I saw that you were like a, what, a bridesmaid in Working Girl. Yeah, I have like two lines and I talked to Harrison Ford and it's very funny because that was right, that was, that was, Hairspray had just come out and I had to audition for Mike Nichols for that role and he cast me and I was on set, I worked like for like three days, you know, in this scene with like 300 extras and Harrison Ford had heard I was in Hairspray and that had like was kind of like the, the buzz of that film. It was 1988. And he had said to me, because oh, I've heard you, you know, you're great in this movie. I haven't seen it yet. And he was in a movie at that time called Frantic. It opened the same day. And I said, oh, Harrison, I haven't seen your movie either. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a, it that's, was a moment. It was a moment. That's so hot that you could say that to Harrison Ford. Right. It was, uh-huh. it was great. I mean, I, I was basically an extra in that film, but I loved that I got to work with Mike Nichols. It's so crazy. Do you know how many times I've seen Working Girl and I've never realized that 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 was you until today. I was like, wait, that's Ricky in Working Girl. I'm so, I don't know what I'm more jealous uh, about your life right now. Like you, you know, you the talk show dreams forever. You, then you come back for, uh, uh, you brought Ricky back and you won the Emmy. How about them apples? I was canceled. I was like the show that failed and I I beat Steve Harvey and all the, and I was even, I was in Ibiza on my vacation and I didn't even go to the Emmys. My friend said, you're going to win. I'm like, I'm not going to win. I'm the failed show. I'm not going to win. And I won. And Chris Jenner accepted the award on my behalf. It was just surreal. It was crazy. So tell me, what about that though? So you're, you know, you tell Oprah, I want to be the next you. Then you go on to have this huge, iconic talk show. But I don't think you, you were nominated back then, but I don't think you got the credit, maybe because you were so young. No, I think, no, I think, yeah, they called our show trash TV. You know, there was definitely like this, this like stigma, you know, that they kind of lumped us in this category of shows that, you know, Jerry and whatever. I mean, it was fine. We didn't need to win awards. We were succeeding in the ratings and it was doing well. But the last show, you know, I wanted to go back. When I went back after you know many years, I wanted to do more of a Phil Donahue type of show, like more issue-driven, provocative, thought-provoking. And the company that I was working with, they they didn't want to do that. They wanted to do like fluff and, you know, it wasn't, it, it just wasn't a good fit. Let's just leave it at that. It was, it was, you know. Isn't it good to be in a place though in your life, in your career and everything that you can just be like, no, that's not what I want to do. I'm good. I, what? Well, well, I, I wish I could say it was my choice. You know, the show ended, the show failed. Um, it was mutual, you know, um, but, but I, I, you know, I like reinventing myself. I like doing new things, you know? And so to go back and do something I've already done and we could never duplicate what was done with the Ricky, the original Ricky Lake show. That was a phenomenon. That was the time when there was, you know, not 5,000 other channels to find something to watch. You know, it was really, 
it was for that time. And I think that's what's so special about it. It's pre-smartphones, pre, you know, we had fax machines back then. There was no real internet then in the beginning. I just think, I think about that time though, Ricky, and you mean, we, I'll take you back too, but it was when like re, the real world was on MTV. It's when suddenly people were like sort of peeling off the facade of, you know, the, uh, I don't know, the leave it to beaverness of it all. I mean, that's a really old reference, but in terms of like, we were kind of starting to get real. Yeah. Yeah, real world was groundbreaking television. Yeah, seeing, I mean, yeah, yeah. Did you watch the re? Did you watch the um the reunion show? It was brilliant. The new real world where they no, went, the, it was brilliant. It was so smart. They there's so there's so much out there, Ricky. Ricky I don't have that. I don't know how you have time. But with just ninety day fiance alone, my calendar is booked up. I hear you. What are you watching these days? What is it? What is Ricky Lake go to? Okay, my favorite show in the last year that I saw is Love on the Spectrum. Oh my god, that, it's amazing. It is so special. It is so I could I could tear up just thinking about how that show moved me and my husband. We we we've watched it multiple times actually. We love the Australian version and we love the US version. It's just so special. What else am I watching? I mean, I watched, you know, from Survivor to The Housewives. I mean, I'm way into Salt Lake City. I'm way way deep in that, especially my husband is an ex-Mormon. Yeah, right. Um what else? I mean, tell me I, you about know, your husband. I watched though. Rachel Maddow. I'll tell you about him. Besides having the best name, but yes, of course. You know what they say: Rosses do it best. But where did you and Ross meet? This former Mormon who has no yeah. idea who you are. <laughs> How does Ricky Lake meet her husband? The man of my my third husband and my last husband. Um, I met him during COVID through a mutual acquaintance. I mean, it's just, I think it's very serendipitous. I think it was divinely calculated. I, I also, I mean, it's crazy to say, but I think it's true that my my dead husband who left and chose to leave, I believe he found handpicked Ross for me. I'm literally, I believe with, that. it's the best. I do believe in that and no one can tell me otherwise. So I'm going to go with it. But I feel like I've come to this place of such contentment and ease and we are the happiest people in our 50s that you'll ever meet. I mean, we are just like pinching ourselves every day. I live, I mean, I'm looking out, I live in Malibu. I've been building this house for many, many years before my last husband died. And now we live on this mountaintop and it's, it's, it's bliss. And I get to do my podcast from my house and... It's a really, really beautiful time in my life. I'm so grateful. I'm so happy for you. And I do believe, you know, my my mom passed right when I was meeting uh, my husband. And I was so lucky to be able to show her, uh, her a picture of him uh, right before she died. And she said, I think I know him, you know. And then the world just, after she passed, it's like somebody just drew a map for me. And everything worked out. New York and Drew Barrymore and here and then. And, and I, but I believe it was my mom sort of making that all happen. And the fact that you think it was your, your former husband doing that for you is such a beautiful gift. And I think that's, oh, it is. If we can hold on to that. Doesn't that bring you peace? Uh, I, I, it's the, the word isn't even strong enough. Like that, like I have such a knowing, a sense of knowing and connection. And I've, you know, yeah, I've had profound experiences where I feel him so strongly. We got married here in January of this year and I felt him just blessing this union. And, um, it's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, just like, it really is something that, that has helped me in my healing. And, um, and I just, I feel like I'm the best me I've ever been. And it's, it's 
partly because of having that relationship, loving Christian and losing Christian. It's like I've come on the other side of it to like really accepting who I am. And, and, and it's, it's really been a gift. I'm so happy for you. Happiness looks so good on you, Ricky. How about my gray hair? How about my silver gray hair? Isn't it crazy? It's so hot. You know, like, gray is the new brown. I just have, I, I'm just accepting it. I, I, you know, I know it's not like the norm to love our gray hair or our aging or something, but I, I feel like I'd much rather, I it just coloring my hair and dealing with the hair loss and wearing those extensions. It was, it was, it was killing me. It was killing me inside, like my spirit. I was just so bummed out all the time. And it just like, I finally just said, fuck it. Can I say fuck on oh, your show? Say, I'll say it more. Fuck it. Yeah. Okay. I just had to surrender. And it was just, that was a real rite of passage for me. And I, I, I'm on the other side of it. And it's just like to, to come to a place of just accepting myself as I am. It's, it's really been a process and it's, it's like, it feels really, really good to just not be hating what I see when I look in the mirror. I love that so much. And I remember that day first when I pulled up your Instagram and you had shaved your head and you talked about how you had struggled with hair loss and how it had been a real insecurity and, and cause you a lot of pain. And I think we all have our version of, of that, we do. Of, right. Yeah. Of the thing that we're embarrassed about. We all have a secret. We all have something inside us that we're embarrassed or ashamed of, and we don't want to come clean or, you know, and I just, I'd reached a breaking point and I didn't see a way out. I mean, and I was really down. It was a very dark time for me. And once I did it and kind of took matters into my own hand and just, you know, I was so scared of what people were going to say about me that they were going to call me names or say I look ugly or, you know, and so I just, I just came out and just did it. And, and I've never looked back, you know, I'm, I really, really feel like I healed a lot internally, you know, the only thing I can relate it to, and, and it's so trivial compared to what you went through, but I've always like been fat, you know, and hated my body and just was insecure. So I remember even like in elementary school going to the water slides being like, Oh, I can't do that. Cause I have to take my shirt mm, off. Right. Yeah. And so I spent until like my forties and finally I was on vacation with my closest dearest friends. And I was like, you know, it's screw or to quote Ricky, like, fuck it. <laughs> and I remember the day I just was like, I took my shirt and got in the pool. And you know what everyone said? Nothing. They didn't, yeah. it wasn't their thing. They didn't exactly. give a shit. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, I'm free of this now. Who? Yeah. I, I'm so free. What a release, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so yeah. to like our listeners, I think, you know, my mom was always, I remember the day I found, she told me that she was insecure about her upper arms. It broke my heart because I was like, I think your upper arms are beautiful. I never thought about it, you know? So whatever, if the people listening to this, if you can think about, identify the thing that you waste so much time being ashamed of or what was the word you used? Your, your secret? Yeah, it was like my dirty secret. And it really did eat up. You know, every time I walked past the mirror, I'd see the extensions and I'd say, oh, can people, can people tell that I'm wearing fake hair? Like it just, it just was a cycle that I could not get out of. And, and do I still have bad hair days? Of course. Do I still like sometimes feel insecure about, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm carrying an extra 20 pounds right now, you know, but I'm happy. I am happy. This is what happy looks like. And this is what self-acceptance looks like, you know? Well, it looks good on you, Ricky. It does. I I can't stop smiling saying that because um You're so because you sweet. do look so happy. Well, it's Thank just true. You. I just I feel like I've been rooting for you since before I ever knew you, and like I kind of, you know, I know you like through show business, but like my heart has always been connected to you. Just like I kind of just love you. Thank you. I do feel like you're my cousin or something. Yeah, yeah right? I, like I, I don't know you well. We've never like gone out personally. I hope we do someday, please. But um, but I do feel like it's like kismet, you know. 
It's not just me that uh, loves you. Our listeners do too. It's time for our final five. This is where they get to ask you questions. So I have five quick questions, rapid fire if you want. Let's hit it. Okay. First up, okay. Julie C says, I loved you on your talk show when the doorbell would ring and someone new would come out. It would always be like ding dong and be like another mm-hmm. level of story. Who came up? Julie C wants to know, who came up with the doorbell idea? Oh, um, well, we just talked about that on my podcast. I think it was like Stuart Krasnow. And it was really about kind of holding the, con- like getting the conflict out, getting the story out, and then having that third person come in and the drum- dramatic effect of it. I-, I may be giving him the credit and he doesn't, he wasn't the one, but I think I'm going to give him that. Stuart Krasnow. Stuart Krasnow is a friend of mine. He was just at my birthday party in Palm Springs like three weeks ago. And I talked- He to has him. a house in Palm Springs, right? I've been yeah. there, yeah. And I talked to him about you. I said, you know, I'm going to ask Ricky to be on my show. And I just had so many questions for him about, about everything. So he, I, don't, I need to ask, I'll double down on ask Stuart as well if he was- I think it's him. I All think right. he did that. He's a producer on your show. And I, you don't understand, every time I'm with him, I ask him about stories from your show. Yeah. Oh, really? He's I got do. good ones. Yeah. All right. Kevin has a questions. Would you ever come back to daytime TV again, maybe on The View or The Talk? Ricky, is daytime in your future? Um, Probably not. Maybe as a guest host. I've done that in the past. Um, Not as a regular. First of all, I don't want to live in New York. No offense. I'm from New York. I'm a New Yorker through and through. My life here in Malibu is where where it's at for me. Um, as far as the talk, I've never been on the talk, but I know Sarah Gilbert really well. And, it, you know, I don't okay. think so. It would be great. I'm just saying. But, um, but never say never. Never say never. You're great on TV. Okay. So just give the people what they want. All right. Uh, Patty says, uh, thank you for talking about things like hair loss, like we were just saying. And um, oh, your, all your documentaries as well. Uh, things that until recently people haven't talked about publicly. Is there a topic you want to tackle next? We do, but we need funding. <laughs> so my, my partner, Abby Epstein, and I, I'm leaving today to go to Berlin and London for the screenings of the business of birth control. We don't have money. We don't have money. I don't host a talk show anymore. And so I can't fund these films. So yes, if we could get like a deal somewhere, we want to do the business of menopause, the business of infertility, the business of aging. Like these are things that like we're all relating and going through me personally. And so these are topics I'd love to explore. But again, I need a deal in place because we can't, I can't fund them. So stay tuned. Kelly says, loved you as the Raven on the Masked Singer. I have to tell you, Ricky, when you, when you were the Raven on the Masked Singer, people kept tweeting me, asking me, are, are you the Raven? Are you the Raven? I'm like, it, they it, thought you were the Raven? But no. <laughs> because our, I guess our voices, the timbre, the tone of them are similar, I guess. I don't know. That's so funny. No, I thought I was the, I was the dead ringer. Everyone knew it was me. I sounded exactly like me. But what's, what's her her question. Well, the question is, would you ever do another real, uh, reality show like Celebrity Big Brother? Would you do it? No. No, I wouldn't. I don't watch Big Brother. Like, I, it's not my one of my shows. I don't think I'd be good on that show at all. But I've done other. I did Celebrity X Factor in the UK. I did that. That was really fun. Oh, my gosh. I got kicked off the first week, and I got paid so much money. So basically, I won X Factor. I got to live in London for three months on their dime and got paid all this money and was kicked off first. Oh, well, if they're looking for anyone, tell them to hire me next, okay? I'm right, right? here. Yeah, si- Simon Cowell. Simon Cowell said I sounded like a rehearsal. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. Thank you, Simon. And it was, yeah, it was funny. Uh, finally, Francesca <laughs> says, I'm feeling down today and I want to go for a walk. What song should I put on a playlist to make me feel better? Hairspray. Good morning, Baltimore, Hello. baby. <laughs> Great answer. You know, Ricky, you talk about, we talked the whole, you know, I, I loved you for being so real on your show. I loved you for talking about 
um, and bringing people on to tell stories that were happening out, the, out there in the world that a lot of people at the time in the 90s weren't talking about. You did that. You keep it real all the time. And I love that even now, as you think about what you're doing in the future, you want to tell stories that aren't being told right now. I think that is your, and I try to identify it every week, whoever I interview, what their superpower is. Your superpower is keeping it real and telling stories. So oh, I just, thank you. Thank you. I love you, Ross Matthews. I love you. You're really special. You really are just like a bright light. And it's just a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you, Ricky Lake. And I, I just want to just, if I could look myself in the, in my face as like a teen watching you, it's telling myself, I'm going to know her one day. I'm going to know her. I just wish I could go back and tell him like, you're totally right. You're going to know Ricky Lake. <laughs> We're like this. We're like this. We're like this. Oh, thank you, Ricky Lake. <laughs> Everybody listen to, uh, to Ricky's podcast. Uh, it's available everywhere. Follow Ricky on social media and uh, we'll be right back with my happy ending. It's the best thing I've seen all week. Bye-bye, Ricky. Bye. Thank you, Ross. Hope to see you soon. And welcome back to the program. I, a big thank you to Ricky Lake. I can't even, I can't even believe it. You know, it's like, uh, it still blows me away that I get to have that conversation. And thanks for you, you, to you guys for letting me feel like comfortable to have that in front of you. It feels so like, well, that's the thing about podcasts, isn't it? Like, it's so intimate, even though like I'm in a room in my house and Ricky Lake's in a room in her mansion and you guys are, I don't know where you are. You're in a car. What are you doing? Are you driving? You're on a walk. I don't, but wherever the point is, wherever you are, we're having this like intimate thing. All of us. It's crazy. It's why I wanted to do this show. So thanks. Thanks so much for letting me feel like safe that I can do it. Oh, and how crazy is this? Well, this is the, that my happy ending, the best thing I saw this week. Usually it's like a news story I saw or a show I watch or something. This week, it is going to be self aggrandizing. It is going to be about me, but it blows me away. I don't have like a PR team for this show. The way I book the guests is I reach out on, it goes down in the DM or I text, I reach out on social media. Somehow I, I reach these people personally, myself and book up. And I don't have a PR team that like, you know, oh, this person said this, let's plant it in the press. Cause that's how it works, you know? Uh, on lots of shows, they like, oh, well, what could get a lot of pickup? Well, let, let's send that out to our media contacts, you know, blah, blah, blah. Chelsea Handler was on and said this. Guy Fieri was on and said this and blast it out and see if it can get in magazines. I, I don't have that. I'm a one man band. You know, you ever see that one man band kind of guy who's like got cymbals between his knees, playing drums uh, with his hands. He's got a kazoo in his mouth. <laughs> it's like foot on a bass drum. That's me with this show. OK, well. Guy Fieri was on. You heard the episode, I hope. And we talked a lot about things I never knew we'd talk about. You know, of course, I want to talk about the Food Network. I want to talk about guys' grocery games, diners, drivers, and dives. But we, then we started talking about real stuff and our families and loss and love and spirituality and all of that. And you guys, People Magazine wrote an article about it. They quoted Guy Fieri talking to Ross Matthews on his new podcast, Hello, Ross. I did not ask them to do this. I did not send this out. That just that means somebody at People Magazine listened and heard and paid attention, which means people are listening and hearing and paying attention, which I know is kind of the point, and I probably shouldn't be shocked after 20-some years that people are paying attention and listening. <laughs> but because it feels so intimate, it's like it occurred to me that you guys would be listening, but that like, you know, something as big as that, like People Magazine, it's out there and a thing. And it's all because of you guys, because you listen and you drive it up to the top of the charts. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So that that's probably the last time maybe that the happy ending is going to be about me. That's a lie. <laughs> I don't want to make any problem. Happy ending will be whatever I want it to be every week. And, and, and this one is the best thing I saw all week. I was so shocked 
to see that People Magazine was covering our little podcast. So thank you, thank you, thank you. If you see something out there in the world that you think should be my happy ending, the best thing I've seen all week, make sure you send it my way. I'm Hella Ross on all social media. Also, if there's somebody that you want to uh, to have me reach out and book on the show, hit me up. Let me know. I'm taking uh, requests. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. Next week uh, from Saturday Night Live, the one and only Bowen Yang, the incredibly funny, hilarious, talented, now a movie star, um, but he is just incredible. Uh, uh, Bowen Yang is going to be here. He'll tell you a story. You know, he used to watch me as a little kid when I was on Leno. How crazy is that? Now, there he is, a big, bright, shining star, Bowen Yang from SNL. We'll be here next week to say hello, Ross. Until then, bye-bye. Hey, it's me, Ross Matthews. Thanks so much for listening. It means a ton. Make sure you like us, give us a good review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And you can find us on video at Cumulus Podcast Network on YouTube. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.